Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Sports Saturday. Saturday, a presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte, on Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, Cougar Nation. Welcome into Cougar Sports Saturday, live here in downtown Salt Lake City at Broadcast House. 12.06 PM, Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte, back in the saddle. Man, we got a jam packed show for you today. Talking BYU football. Spring football is going to be taking place coming up on Monday, so we will be joined by BYU Special Teams Coordinator and Defensive Ends Coach Kelly Papinga. He's back in Provo, so we catch up with a former BYU great and Kelly Papinga on the program today. Also, WCC Tournament Game Day. The men and women are in action. NFL Combine. And then, of course, Conference Realignment. Oh, man. Matt's going to be a locked and loaded show. Locked and loaded. And we'll get to Conference Realignment. Text us 57500. The big story in the world of realignment, Mitch is that the four corner schools in the Pac-12, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, reportedly talking with the Big 12 amidst the media rights situation with the Pac-12. Let us know your thoughts, BYU fans, on potential expansion in the Big 12. But, Mitch, let's start things off with what happened last night on the hardwood. The leadoff. A look at the stories making headlines right now. It's time for the leadoff on Cougar Sports Saturday. BYU takes down Portland in the WCC tournament last night. Second round action. 82-71. The Cougars advance to move on to tonight's quarterfinal against LMU. Tip-off at 8 p.m. here on KSL News Radio. I didn't think we'd be having a game day, Matt, today <laughs> on the show at the halftime mark of last night's game. BYU was down 43-30 to to Portland. The eight-seed pilots, they were on fire. And I thought, uh uh-oh, this team's ready to roll over and die and let the Big 12 era begin with a dud in the WCC tournament. But Richie Saunders, Foose Traore, Jackson Robinson, they all came up big in the second half. And BYU scored 52 points to Portland's 28 in the second half. And the Cougars get another another double-digit victory. Impressive turnaround by BYU. 18-2 run to start the second half, Mitch, where they took the lead and and never really looked back after that. And you know what? 
I, I think some people might look at this game and say, you barely beat Portland. There's no, you know, you're not going to do anything. Maybe you'll you'll lose to LMU. I just feel like a tournament is hard. Portland had won the night before, so they had a little continuity. It took BYU a little bit to get going, and they've struggled in a lot of first half this year. They've been a really good second half team. So I just view this as it survive in advance in these tournaments. They got the first one out of the way. It's kind of a little bit like football in like a two minute drill situation. Get that first down, then you start to get things going. They won the game. It wasn't always pretty, but I think there's a lot to build on. And now they're in a good situation. LMU, they killed LMU the last time they played them at home in Provo a few weeks ago. I think they can win that game. So uh, incredible resilience by this BYU team. And I'm not too hung up on the slow start. I just feel like it's a tournament. It's weird. We've seen BYU struggle in these games before. They found a way. They move on. Let's see if they can build on that second half. I was having flashbacks in that first half. To BYU's abysmal performance, what was it, four years ago? San Diego? Yeah, against San Diego and Dave Rose's final year, I thought BYU's just going to just roll over roll over, and let Portland just roll to a victory in this one and embarrass BYU. So I do give BYU credit in the fact that they fought back, didn't want to give up on the season. you got to keep in mind that BYU right now is not playing for an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament. They have to win the conference tournament to They're get the really auto bid. They're not even playing for NIT. That's what I was just going to say, too. I mean, it's it was kind of like, if you lose, the season is done. I, I would like to see them play in the CBI because, no hey, they could win a tournament for once in my lifetime. No. They could win the CBI, Matt. But, hey, I, I also understand. You believe that? I think they could beat some team named Towson. The problem with this team this year, Mitch, is what we saw in that first half. There's the 52-point second half where you can beat Gonzaga and St. Mary's. I, right. And there's the first yeah. half against Portland where you can lose the South Dakota. <laughs> like, it's it's all in play with this team. It, it's true. And, and that, look, the CBI bit, I, I think I'm just trying to – I love going to games and stuff. So, But at the same time, I get it. Like, BYU, it would be a source of pride almost where you're going, we're going to the Big 12, we're, we're not playing in this. <laughs> but at the same time, you, you go in a league where you're a bunch of mid-majors and you're struggling with these teams. So, uh, like, what's so different about the CBI? Anyway, uh, Portland was a tough test for BYU. They were shooting the ball pretty well, but BYU locked up defensively and they got a win and they advanced. And I hope that BYU can find a way to pull off a victory here tonight against LMU. It's a 50-50 game. I mean, it's a toss-up. You know, BYU lost to LMU in L.A. back in January, they blew the doors off the Lions by 28 points, one of the more shocking outcomes really that BYU was. has had this season in Provo. Uh, so this will be a tough matchup tonight. It's crazy, too, Matt. One thing I'm very curious to see in tonight's game, and I feel like it's going to have to play itself out, can BYU win a close game in the West Coast Conference? Every game this year that BYU has won, that's eight games in total, the regular season plus, plus last night. All by double digits. They don't win close games. All their losses, except the Pepperdine loss, by single digits. So if this game's close tonight against LMU, can they actually get over the finish line and get it done? We'll have to see. Uh, But uh, kind of an interesting fact how BYU, there's no in-between. It's either close loss or a blowout win. We'll break this down uh, even more throughout the show as we get ready for BYU and LMU tonight. But Mitch, let's pivot to... Not a bombshell report because it feels like what's happening in college football, it's like, I don't know if you saw this documentary on Netflix recently, 
but there was a, a crazy documentary about this volcano in New Zealand, and it was like behaving oddly right before <laughs> it erupted. And it kind of feels like that, where something is simmering at the surface at, at any moment there's going to be an explosion. What happened recently? Because we touched on this last week. And by the way, glad to have you back. Yes, we, we missed you last back. week. Uh, had to spend time with your family. Mm-hmm. But you're back now, and we want to get your thoughts on this. So the Pac-12 TV deal, it's been lingering for months, and there's a bunch of rumors out there. We had Brett McMurphy on last week. Earlier in the week on The Athletic, there was a report that some teams in the Big 12 are in contact with uh, the Pac-12 school, the four corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado being those schools, and that the Pac-12 presidents, ADs, administrators, they wanted a TV deal by the end of the month. If they don't get one by the end of this month, there's going to be some problems, and maybe that's the end of the Pac-12. There's so many angles to go with it. Let's just start with this. How do you feel about the Big 12 maybe snatching or going after Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. I like it because it strengthens the Big 12 in the future. I I think that one thing that I like what Brett Yormark is doing as a Big 12 commissioner, I feel like he's looking at the long game. We know that the college football playoff is going to have a 12-team iteration. But what will be the next uh, wave of college football after the 12-team playoff is concluded on that contract. I feel like we're nearing the end of what the final product of the sport is going to be. And the Big 12 has shown their universities, no matter what, they want athletics to be at the highest levels possible. They will do whatever it takes to get on the highest levels. We could, in 10 years, 15 years, be talking about the Big 12 facing a similar fate like the Pac-12, where maybe some teams get poached by the SEC or the Big Ten and the Big 12 struggling. I don't know. Or maybe they're in a different tier. We don't know how this is all going to play out. But the Big 12 is going to go down swinging. Pac-12, we know with them, they told us everything we need to know about them in 2020. They didn't play a football season until November. No one batted an eye. No one cared about Pac-12 football going away because there's no fans. There's no interest in that league. Yes, you have USC and UCLA. They're now gone. Oregon and Washington, they have good fan bases. Utah's got a good game day fan base. I don't know if they live it vicariously like BYU fans on a daily basis, but on game days they show up. And But outside of that, there's no interest in that league. So no one on the West Coast cared that Pac-12 football was gone. And I think that's kind of carried over into these media rights negotiations where these TV properties go, they don't have the rabid fan bases. They don't have the following that just says, must see TV on a Saturday afternoon in the fall where these Big 12 teams, they've shown, hey, they're going to go on ESPN Plus to watch Big 12 basketball because they have to watch their teams, just like BYU fans. They'll do whatever it takes to watch BYU sports. So if you're the back to Pac-12 teams, this is smart by them to reach out to these leagues. you got to understand, conferences can't reach out to these teams in these talks. You just can't do that. So the school's got to reach out, and that's smart by those schools to have these talks with the Big 12 who clearly want to talk to them because – it's ultimately the chase to get the most TV revenue possible. And I do think those four teams can add value in that regard down the line. After 2031, I think they can elevate the pot for more money to be distributed. So in that sense, it's a good thing. On the flip side, Matt, I don't like it from the fact that I don't think BYU fans want to deal with Utah and vice versa. Utah doesn't want to deal with BYU because honestly, if I was BYU, I would be politicking like crazy if I have that chance to say, 
don't add Utah because you want to be on the higher platform than Utah and put them beneath you, and then you can play that card to recruits. You can play that up to where you're being the power in the state, and there's no debate about it. The Big 12, in my opinion, Mitch, they have to protect what what they're building. For decades and decades, Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, they were, for lack of a better term, held hostage by Oklahoma and Texas. Now that they're gone, they want to be at a table where, you know, to use a metaphor here, it's a round table. There's, It's yeah. not a long rectangular table where Texas and Oklahoma are at the head and everyone else is has a lesser importance at the table. They want to be at a circular table to where everyone has equal say and that everyone is committed. And it is critical, I think, going forward because we have, over the past 15 years, we have heard so many stories of backstabbing, secret conversations. We're saying one thing to the conference, and then behind their back, we're having another conversation with the SEC or the Big Ten. You cannot have that. It is so fragile for everyone not in the SEC or the Big Ten. You have got to protect, and you've got to build something. And there's a real opportunity here. Last week, there was a report that Florida State and Clemson unhappy sharing the money in the ACC because they're a bigger brand. And you know what? I, th- I think they're right, but... That's a that's a probably a discussion for another day. You've got to f- protect this identity of a unified conference because there's going to be a real opportunity when the SEC and the Big Ten are done doing what they do for you to be the third best league. That is out there. That is that is out there for the taking for somebody to be the third best league in college football. That's what the Big Twelve should aspire to be. And you've got to be selective who you take because if you take, let's say, Oregon and Washington. Uh, they're semi-interested, but on a short-term basis, and you say, well, they're the biggest brands. Let's go get them. That's not strengthening the conference in the long term because at any moment they could leave you high and dry, and then you're scrambling again. You've got to bring in teams that are committed to what the Big 12 wants to be long term. Is that Utah? No, it's absolutely not Utah. 100% it's not Utah. It, I think it could be Arizona and Arizona State. I think definitely it's Colorado. And, and Colorado, to me, even though they've been a cellar dweller, Mitch, in the, in the Pac-12, that's kind of a sleeping giant, I think, if they come back to the Big 12, a place where they had great success. Yeah. Colorado makes all the sense in the world. Arizona schools make all the sense in the world. Utah does not make sense to me. I, but you can't just add three, so that's why I think yeah. you bring Utah in. But with the ACC report out there, I would be – tempted if I were Brett Yormark to say let's let the dust settle a little bit and see if we can get some from the east some from the west we don't have to grab four from the Pac-12 maybe we get two and then let's see what we can get to bolster UCF and uh, West Virginia so there's a lot of shaking out there and the Big 12 has to be careful who they bring in because you cannot have Utah coming in saying oh thanks for letting us in Big 10 Hey, Big Ten, are you ready for us? We're doing all the Big Ten. Like, no, cannot have that in the new Big 12. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, this Big 12 conference, even if they just stay at 12, they'll be okay. Uh, they're going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, I think they're, they're, and I know it's probably tough for BYU fans to hear this, but none of the current brands in the Big 12 right now are probably wanted by the SEC or Big Ten. So no. it brings that stability. Even Brett Mur- McMurphy talked about that last week with you guys. But I just think that B, the Big 12 Conference, I think you're, you're right, that they have to be forward-thinking, and they got to be uh, at times selective too. But I do think that if it does happen where it's these four Pac-12 teams uh, are added, you kill off the Pac-12, and then you're almost ensuring, guaranteeing, that come 2031, you're going to make a lot more TV money by having another league wiped out.
Let's take a break. Let's uh, continue the discussion. Text us 57500. Thoughts on potential Big 12 expansion to the Pac-12. Back in a moment. We're getting some text, Mitch. We're getting some text. People like to chime in on BYU-Utah conference realignment. This is texter 2992. Do not let Utah into the Big 12. That would be a cancer. I, I, I agree. If I'm Tom Homo and I'm Kevin Worthen, the president at BYU, I'm politicking. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I don't think BYU honestly would. I really because they even, should. Even I, they. It was Brian Santiago the week leading up to the Notre Dame game. He was on BYU TV. He even said because there was the talks back in the summer about these conversations about the about the um, Big Twelve and, and Pac twelve schools talking. He's you know he was asked point blank like would you guys want Utah and. He's like, yeah, we would if if it's good for the league, we'd do it. Like, I think that's BYU's way because BYU has a lot more to lose from a image standpoint. We've seen that in a lot of cases where the BYU brand will take hits like no other, and BYU just has to always stay silent because they got a lot more on the line because it's a tie with the church and religion and yep. and things like that. But I think if you are BYU behind the scenes, behind closed doors, you are politicking like crazy to say, you know what, this is not going to work. I mean, Utah tried to. Bring to an end yes, BYU's yes. move uh, to the whack and independence. I mean, come on. Like, Utah, the best thing about Utah, if they join the Big 12, is that the BYU Utah football rivalry would be the biggest TV property in the conference from a rivalry standpoint. It would be the best. It would be the new Texas and Oklahoma of the Big 12. Yep. And that's kind of cool for the for the fans that have that remembered the whack in the Mount West days of you know, enjoying BYU versus Utah. A lot of times BYU and Lavelle's days were just crushing them. It wasn't even a rivalry. It was just BYU annihilating them every year. But to see that game become a national property would be kind of cool. But I think that from the dynamics of this new Big 12, there's a lot of cohesion. There's a lot of chemistry. There's a lot of good rapport where everyone is working together to build something does Utah help kind of make the wheel happen? And I don't know. I, I don't know the dynamics of their president, if he would be into that. I got to imagine they want to stay in the pack and make that work. But that might be a death sentence because that league, even if they sign a deal, say with Apple and Amazon, whatever it ends up being, what, five, seven years after the media rights deal, it's going to be kind of like the swan song again. I mean, there's there's not a bright future for the Pac-12, whereas the Big 12 is working its tail off to become something they've never been and become far greater than they've ever been. And that gives you the upside and the potential that this could be a really good deal. And they're going to make more money, too, than the Pac-12 teams. Give us your thoughts, 57500. We'd love to hear from you, uh, from you Cougar fans. Look, hey, Ute fans, we like to hear from you, too. 57500, what do you think about Utah maybe going to the Big 12? I've been rereading this book, Mitch. And, and the reason I bring this up is I feel like it's, it's topical to the Big 12. Have you ever read the Steve Jobs biography? I have not. It's fascinating. So he creates Apple. He gets pushed out, right? He goes and gets involved with Pixar and starts this company called Next, which was a software company. Apple really struggles because they start they start doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They're doing a Palm Pilot. They have multiple computers. They're like tons of new products coming from Apple. They all fail in the 90s. And then when Jobs comes back, he looks at the product line and he just says slash slash cut cut. They got down to nothing, and it's still kind of that way with Apple today, where you've got iPhone, iPad, computer, 
uh, some audio things. It, it, they don't. They're not making washers and dryers and <laughs> yeah. and all kinds of stuff. They kept it tight, and I just I feel like that is applicable to the Big Twelve because you've seen it from the SEC and the Big Ten. They could have grabbed Oregon and Washington a while ago. They are very selective on who they add because it's got to be a value add. And I just think the Big 12 has got to be really careful with some of these Pac-12 schools because are they going to really bring value? Are they going to bring more money to the table? Or are they just inventory and time zones? Because I I am worried about that. I I think they would bring value because a league gets put to rest. You're, I, I, you're I eliminating a league. You yeah. are. You're basically. I mean, that's that's assuming. I mean, I'm sure the Pac-12 could add teams, SMU, San Diego State, but you're you are clearly in 2031 when the next media rights negotiations come up for the Big 12. There's no debate. You're getting that money and then some because of inflation and as the years go by, things just cost more. You're going to get more money, uh, and you 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 establish yourself. Are you though? Because Bob Iger, Disney CEO, said recently, we got to be selective with sports. We're not just going to spend, spend, spend. I think. That Fox is going to be a huge player in college football still, and Brett Yormark has close relationships with people at Fox. I think that will be something that's very beneficial. It's already proved to be beneficial with the Big 12 jumping the Pac-12 in media rights negotiations. The Big 12 got an extension, which is a little bit easier to pull off than what the Pac-12 is doing, which is trying to create a whole new deal. Right. But, you know, I think that the Big 12 is looking to establish itself that they are still in the mix because – that was a league that 10 months ago or to a year ago, everyone thought, okay, enjoy BYU, but you're going to go to a dead league. It's going to be gone in a few years. Now, suddenly, they might be the third property that's the best television property in college football. Yeah, good point. Keep texting us, 57500, thoughts on BYU and Utah. Maybe conference members again in the Big 12. We're taking a break. News, traffic, and weather next. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're getting a lot of text, Mitch, on this BYU, Utah, Big 12, Pac-12. Keep them coming, 57500. But we're going to take a quick pause from realignment because something exciting is happening on Monday for football fans who like to hear helmets popping and the ball <laughs> whizzing through the air. Spring football starts on Monday. Let's we're going to go. we're going to be there. We'll have you covered on kslsports.com. Cannot wait for it. And and there's a lot of interesting storylines that we'll be paying attention to, none more important than who will replace Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall stepped in flawlessly for Zach Wilson, which was very difficult to do, by the way. You you don't see that very often in sports where someone has a great career, and and in Zach's case, just a phenomenal singular season, and then the next guy comes in and just keeps the ball rolling for a 10-win season, so it's going to be difficult. And that's what makes the spring ball so fun, is they go out into the transfer portal, they grabbed Keaton Slovis, started his career at USC, had a down year at Pitt last year, and then he found a new home with BYU, and we're going to be there to, to, to check him out. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And leading up to spring ball, including us, we'll have Kelly Papinga on in 30 minutes. Yes, to can't wait for that. Football. A couple of the other coaches were on our sister station, uh, the KSL Sports Zone, Jay Hill. Uh, Kalani was on KSL News Radio yesterday morning. 
Aaron Roderick was on the KSL Sports Zone yesterday as well, and he talked about Slovis and his journey to BYU. Well, there's a few reasons. The first one is, you know, I just view it as uh, our our job as coaches is, you know, we've seen him at his best, and then it, it's our job to get him back to that level or higher. And I think I I welcome that challenge. I'm excited about that. And so um, I think that we, we've all seen what he can do. So let's get him back there. That's the first thing. And then secondly, you know, we watch every single game he's played in in college uh, in detail. And it wasn't just me. I had I had assistant coaches that watched it with me, and we got in depth. And then we also, you know, make a lot. We do a lot of homework about the circumstances surrounding the situation as well. And you know, the COVID year, he played really good football. He was, he, he was playing as well or better than he did as a freshman, but they only got five games. And you can say those games didn't count or whatever, but there was a scoreboard and there was a winner and a loser, and he played really well. I don't know if you guys remember, he played well in Salt Lake that year against the Utes and had some good games then. And then that last year, there was coaching drama going on. He had an injury that he was dealing with. He was trying to play through an injury. He wasn't healthy wasn't as effective with the injury and then eventually ended up not being able to play at all. And they, they made the coaching change and then Jackson Dart got his chance. And there was just a lot of stuff going on there that I don't think is a really clear reflection of how good of a player he is. And then, uh, then he goes to Pittsburgh thinking he's going to play for uh, coach Whipple, who's one of the best coordinators in the country. And it just had this awesome season with Kenny Pickett and he had the Blitnikoff award winning receiver and he gets there and the OC leaves and the receiver goes to USC. And all of a sudden it was, not exactly what he had signed up for. All of a sudden, they're in a new offense now where he's under center all the time. And I just don't think it was a, a accurate reflection of how good of a player he still is. And so um, we're, we're super excited about him. He's an awesome kid and a really good passer. Excellent insight there from BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick on, on the KSL Sports Zone. You can go check out that podcast on kslsports.com, but – uh, that that path when he when you lay it out like that, it, it does make sense why Slovis uh, is still in college football. I mean, he's had some ups and downs and some unique circumstances, and I think there's a there's a belief in that BYU building that feels like, hey, this is going to be an offense that still can produce at a high level with Slovis at commands. I, I think that you know you wonder if a little bit of it though, Matt, is it is it a conf is is the confidence there for Slovis? I got to think it is, but. You know, his numbers have all dipped each and every year uh, from that first season where he was setting Pac-12 records, 71% completion rate each year since it has dipped. And if it's just truly just injuries and, and some unique coaching and personnel kind of, uh, you know, bait and switch moves, then, you know, I think Slovis could have a nice bounce back. I, I think that ultimately Slovis came to BYU because there's a proven system proven uh, coaches that have had success with NFL QBs. And we're watching Jaron Hall right now in the NFL Combine. He's going through uh, some passing drills. And, you know, back-to-back quarterbacks have been selected in the draft. At least we assume Jaron's going to be selected. So, Caden Slovis, he's, he's got a system here at BYU that can get him to the league. Uh, he's got to perform. And I want him in spring ball, Matt, to be not, a, not necessarily flawless because there's so many new faces, but I want his, his the ball placement – the throws to just look crisp, just yep. look great, because yep. there's no excuses. They shouldn't. You're not going to get hit. There's no contact. There's no pressure. Let it rip. I want to see just beautiful balls from Keenan Slovis, because I do believe that can translate to games in, in we'll, the fall. We'll know a lot of what we need to know by the end of Friday. 
The media is allowed in to watch the last couple minutes of practice. I think there'll be enough sample there yeah. to get a feel for is there good velocity? Is there good accuracy? I'll just never forget, Mitch, when we went down, it would have been 2021. There was the battle between Conover, Romney, and Hall. Hall just popped. It took one or two throws, and no you're question. like, whoa, this dude is throwing the football like a starting college quarterback at a high level. It just immediately, it was accurate. One pass in particular, I remember where I was all in on Hall, spring ball 2021. Nakua is coming across. This is Puka. It, it, it actually might have been Samson. It was one of the two. It's coming across the middle on a shallow crossing route, which is, and it was away from the quarterbacks. He was coming from left to right. Hall was in the pocket, throwing to his right. Perfect tight spiral, right on the money, caught in stride. Those are the type of throws where you're like, okay, that is a a great throw. Gives the receiver an opportunity to to run after the catch. I, I just. I just vividly remember that, knowing, okay, I think that's the guy. He went on to be the guy. And if Slovis has that type of performance where you're like, okay, he's throwing the ball good, it's on time, it's accurate, I'm with you, I'm going to be all in. And I'm really interested, too. I think we all think, BYU fans, media, that this offensive staff is really good. Yeah. Like, like, could be hired by bigger programs type good. Like, desired by maybe the elite of college football. And they developed Zach, they helped Jaron, but this is going to be the true test because Jaron and Zach, I don't think, had the confidence issues. Their careers weren't on a downward trajectory when they got to BYU. And so this, if they can turn around Slovis, that would be quite a coup for this coaching staff. And and it would, be, I mean, it would be really impressive if they're able to turn him around. And when you talk to about you know, confidence. I think Slovis is going to be given every opportunity to succeed at BYU. And, you know, when you talk about the importance of practices, you can see it. Last year in spring, we didn't come away inspired by Jacob Conover. We didn't. I mean, we were pretty candid in our in our post-practice recaps on this show, and that translated in the fall, where the coaches were not confident in him either. Yep. So these practices, when you hear people say, oh, it's only like 20 minutes, but like, you can see enough. The, the, the throws... The velocity, like you said, it's tangible, and it can carry over to the fall. One of Keaton Slovis' good friends on the team and top targets that he's going to be looking to, I got to think, because one of the proven commodities on this team is Isaac Rex. Aaron Roderick broke down Isaac Rex, and if he's healthy for spring ball. I'm so excited to have Isaac Rex back. Um, It was, you know, I have so much respect for him. He... He had a compound fracture of his leg in the last season, last game of the season two years ago at USC. I mean, it was the same injury that Alex Smith had, basically. I don't know. If, I mean, it was that it was that serious, and um, he had he was in surgery by the time we were on the plane to fly home, and uh, they put a bunch of metal and rods in his leg and all this stuff. And he, I didn't even expect him to play last season. And the guy played twelve games. He wasn't even close to one hundred percent. And a lot of guys nowadays would not want to go out there and play not 100%. Matt, this, darn near the same injury as Alex Smith. That was, a, for, for reference, Alex Smith, there was an E60 about documenting how devastating They wanted that to was. amputate his leg. Yeah, that puts it into context. When you hear that, you go, oh my gosh, how did Isaac Rex play? We knew it was bad. I mean, when we were talking with people down there, even talking with Isaac, I mean, it was just remarkable that he was giving it a go. 
But when you hear that comparison, you go, oh, Aaron Rodgers told us on this show he didn't expect yeah. Isaac Rex to play last year. It blew my mind when he was when he told us, I'm playing against South Florida. And his numbers weren't great. And we can slice and dice that a million different ways. Maybe he wasn't fully healthy. Maybe the offense wasn't targeting him enough. Maybe there were too many weapons, which that's what I seem to believe when you have Puka and Chase and Cody and Chris Brooks and – it's hard to just target someone 70 times a game. The tight end's got to be a big piece, though. 100%. It has to be for BYU to be be a bowl team this year. It has to be. One thing, though, I'm dying to see Jackson Bowers. I just, yeah. I just feel like could Jackson come in and immediately provide what BYU has wanted for three years, and he just can't have it. I, I don't know why they are so snake-bitten, but we knew that they wanted Rex and Bushman in 2020. Bushman goes down. I mean, that was going to be the thing. Double tight featuring Rex and Bushman. Can't have it. Bushman gets hurt. Next year, you sort of sort of have it, but there was there was a lot of new going on. It never materialized. And Holker was still coming off the mission, so I don't think he was 100%. Then last year, Rex is at 100%. Holker leaves. Is this the year that maybe we get a healthy Rex, Jackson Bowers, that double tight look? So it's going to be interesting. I'm excited for the tight end position, though. I think having Rex back if he's healthy – is huge and because he was as Aaron Roderick just noted, he was he did not look like the same guy at all last year. And it was because of that devastating injury. I think Isaac Rex, if healthy, can be one of the best tight ends in college football. I believe that. I think that, you know, Isaac if Rex healthy is, is a big if I know it, it is a big if. Uh because what he did in twenty twenty, I felt he should have won the Mackey. Yeah. He was so good that season and uh the lineage is great. Byron Rex's dad, I mean Isaac Rex Needs no introduction to BYU fans. Uh, spring ball is going to be big uh, for BYU. It's the first you know spring of the Big Twelve, and uh, getting to know these Big Twelve teams. I mean, it just it has a different layer of, I think, anticipation. Like BYU on Monday, Matt, we're going to go to the IPF, and that's a Power Five team. Like, no longer are we going to wonder is BYU like what is this season about? We know what they're going for: a Big Twelve championship. Can they do that this year? Uh, probably not, but. Who say they can't? I mean, that's that is such a unique dynamic going into spring. Like we're going to be watching a Power Five BYU team. I, I think it's still kind of a surreal thing for BYU fans. Totally. Let's take a break. Let's talk some defense on the other side. We'll get to a sound clip from Jay Hill, who was on with Alex Kiry and Scott Mitchell on KSL's uh, KSL Sports Zone, I should say, Unrivaled yesterday. We'll talk some defense, and then at 1 o'clock, Kelly Popinga, new special teams coordinator, defensive ends coach, he'll join us. Then don't go anywhere. Much more football talk here on Cougar Sports Saturday. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday. Jaron Hall, if you care, is throwing. Ooh, nice pass there on a 20-yard in route. We are... Uh, glued to the NFL Network for the NFL Combine. It's kind of a big week for for Jaron Hall. He did not run the forty, which was a bummer. But we know that he said as much in the interviews. The high ankle sprain in the Stanford game still bothering him a little bit. Just precautionary. Nah, not Murray was laughing it up on the bench <laughs> as BOU was blowing the Cardinal out. Little did we know he'd still be. Yeah. Ankle sprains are no joke, man. They're not. And maybe maybe he can give it a go March twenty fourth at Pro Day, but yeah, it's fun to see Jaron out there. Uh, I always like the this this combine setting is always unique to me because really it is the underwear Olympics. You know, you go how does it 
does it translate all the time? I don't know. You know, it's just such a pressure cooker. But uh, you know, Jaron does it translate not very often. Yeah, I mean, I just go that forty yard dash. Do do I need a quarterback to run forty yards? Sometimes, like when Jaron did it against Baylor, but that's on film. That's foot. That's game film with pads. I I don't know. Like I fully support because the NFLPA I don't think loves the combine. I fully support this thing getting put in the trash can. I'm just mixed on it because I feel like Jaron Hall and Puka are not combine warriors. Like Taysom Hill at a pro day, you go, oh my gosh, he's like a Greek god. Like you just marvel at the physique. The just it's almost like these scouts and executives they almost get awed. Like we're watching this Kentucky Will Levis guy. He looks kind of like body beautiful, where you just go, oh, the physique, and then he has the the mechanics. Whereas Jaron Hall. He's not going to wow you in a combine, uh, but you throw you put him in a in a huddle and you put him as a leader in a in a in a building day in day out. That's where he's going to win the day. That's where he's going to impress, and you can't magnify that at the combine. So, and and Jaron's a good player too. I, I I'm a little bit concerned though because I feel like Jaron Puka and Blake Freeland to a lesser extent have seen their Slipped. stock slip. Yep, 100%. Uh, that's a little bit worrisome. Where and I hope that you know they can. Turn it around, and and maybe we're overblowing that, but because I can't I can't figure out the NFL draft to save my life. But uh, you know, I hope that they end up just in good situations that give them the chance to succeed early in their careers. That's the most important thing for for Jaron Hall if he can land himself. I mean, there's ten or so teams out there. This can all change with NFL free agency. This sure we can't really have this discussion until Aaron Rodgers' situation is situated where where does Derek Carr go where does all these things go but if he could find himself in a backup role in a place like even Denver now that Sean Payton's there if he's backing up Russell Wilson and that's his player comp like Denver would be a great landing spot Seattle would be great like there's there's a lot of great places but he needs to go to the right place because Brock I think Brock Purdy proved this narrative that's been building a while in the NFL Mitch which is you're in the right spot and you're with good coaches, you can succeed. Like if you go to the Jets, you're it might be over for you yes. two two years in. So you cannot go to one of those places, and that's the most important thing. I would have loved to see him go in like the second or third round. I, I don't know how possible that is anymore. So now it's all about fit. I know it is a good fit. Jay Hill at BYU. Yeah. BYU leading the leader of this defense, defensive coordinator, Jay Hill leading the program now. We're going to get a first glimpse at that defense coming up on Monday, day one of spring ball. We'll hear from Kelly Papinga, the defensive ends coach for BYU, at the top of the hour in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, But Jay Hill talking about uh, spring ball over on Friday on the KSL Sports Zone with Unrivaled. And here's some commentary he shared about uh, coming up spring ball. One of the things they do allow us to do now is we can do walkthroughs leading up to spring ball. Um, it's pretty limited on, you know, the speed and tempo and things that you can do with it. Um, but there are opportunities to at least have introduced the players to what we're going to be doing before they have to do a practice one. That's kind of nice because you would think with an entirely new defensive staff, the only carryover is Gennaro Guilford. Everything yeah. else is new. That it would mostly be installed. Be nice if if it if. Jay Hill and the staff were able to speed up the process on the install so they can work on fundamentals and kind of building a unit. 
Spring football is is always interesting from the defensive side because it feels like there's always so many guys missing mm-hmm. due to offseason surgery. That ben it, Bywater, Max Tully this time around. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Here's what I do know. The offense is going to wreck the defense in spring football. Ooh, that, that's you're my, going that, on record? That's my bold prediction. Mark it down, Nate. Okay. Mark it down. Interesting. In a month's time, we're going to be talking about how dang good the offense looks. I think really? they're going to wreck the defense. And the reason I bring this up, though, hmm. Mitch... This is not going to be any – we don't need to sound the alarm. There doesn't need to be a warning sign. <laughs> like, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of install. They're going to be very, I think, uh, exploratory with positions and roles. So, let's not – let's just all make a promise. <laughs> Everyone who's a BYU fan, let's all make an oath together right now. We're not going to overreact when everyone is talking about how great the offense looks because it's going to happen. I – Kind of disagree. What? I think the defense is going to be a big story. Mark it down, Nate. Have you made notes, producer Nate? I will go with a bold take here. Okay. I think the position that we are going to be giving rave reviews at the end of spring ball, the defensive line. I think the defensive line is going to surprise some folks. And one of the reasons for that is a man we'll be talking to coming up here in a few minutes in Kelly Papinga, but Tyler Batty, Bodie Schoonover, Michael Daly, Atu Naisa Mahe. I mean, these are Whoa, names. Mahe's that... moving outside. Well, no, he's he's the interior. I'm just railing off some names. Here. Okay. Uh, you got Isaiah Moa. I think he's going to be the most improved player in the program. I, I think this defensive line is going to impress, and I think that the offensive line is there's Kingsley's a star. Connor pays outstanding, but it's a little bit of patchwork. I would not be surprised if this defense gives a lot better run. And Jay Hale's going to be a storyline, too, from the fact that he's the new D.C. But on day one, I guarantee the media is going to be like, wow, this guy's yelling like he's a screamer. He's loud voice. He, he makes his presence felt. He's a guy that doesn't need a microphone when he talks uh, to a mass of people. This guy, he's going to be a, a big story, how he kind of runs practice. going to be a lot more energy around BYU football with Jay Hill leading that defense. I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what this defense could be. I think they'll surprise you. Let's take the break. News, traffic, and weather coming your way. And then Kelly Papinga previews spring football and the defense with us on the other side. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.